Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. This is the Recovery Stories Podcast, and I'm your host, Patrick Custer. I'm so glad that you've tuned in with us today and hope you stick around to the end of this episode to find encouragement and hope through this story. Today, we've got a special guest, Bevan. I, you know, I feel like I can't do justice introducing you, Bevan, um, but I will say that I love you dearly. I'm so honored uh, to know you and um, that we get to have you for this period of time. Um, on this segment and uh, hear a little bit about your story. Welcome. Thank you. I feel emotional already, so that's not good. Um, much for asking me. Um, you are so wonderful, and it's such a pleasure to work with you and work for a company um, that cares and that supports us on our journey to recovery along with all of our patients. I agree. You know, one thing I, sorry to step back. I always forget to say this at the beginning and have to backtrack on myself. Um, I have to make this disclaimer that this segment is um, not clinical in nature. And if you are having um, any type of emergency or mental health emergency, um, we encourage you to either call 911 or the uh, suicide prevention hotline that we are going to post in the comments here in just a second. Also, um, we have our admissions health team number um, all over. It'll be at the bottom of the screen and in the comments as well. If you or a loved one is uh, needing help, we would love to connect with you and help provide that uh, care that you need. So with that being said, um, again, Devin, so glad you're here and can't wait to get started on hearing your story. So that'll give you the floor. Okay, thank you. Uh, hi guys, I am Bevan. I may know some of you. I started off at Clarity Way as a recovery support staff tech when I had a year sober. Um, so I've got to work firsthand with a lot of our patients and that was the light um, and love of my life. Like that was my favorite career that I've had. Uh, and one of the most fulfilling jobs being able to be really present with everyone when you're first getting sober. So um, I'll start. I am a woman in long-term recovery. Um, for what that means to me is I haven't had a drink or drug since uh, March 6th of 2013. Um, and I am so very grateful for that because, you know, that is such a blessing. I am so lucky for that because not many people are that lucky. Uh, I'll start off a little bit just by telling you my past and how I got here. Um, this is different for me because normally I'm not this vulnerable uh, on a work platform, even though this is not. I'm really thinking about this being for our alumni and for you guys, and hopefully it helps you during this strange time where 
we don't get to many meetings, we're not getting out, um, especially when you're newly sober, that's so important right away. Um, so I hope this helps and gives you some hope. Um, so I was born to two very loving, strange parents. Um, I am the youngest. I have an older brother and older sister. My sister's eight years older and my brother's four years older. So that comes into play later, kind of significant, me trying to follow in their footsteps. Um, but my parents are amazing, very different. My father was a surgeon and my mother was an artist. Um, so they didn't really see eye to eye on a lot. Uh, so hence they, they got a divorce when I was very young, um, you know, which was fine. That doesn't make me an, an alcoholic or an addict. Uh, but it started my journey at a young age, being able to manipulate. Um, so I would go back and forth between their houses at a very young age. And I learned how to get what I wanted um, from each parent uh, because they were competing for our love, me and my siblings. And that's so sad for them. That must have been so difficult, but they would do whatever to try to make us happy. Or let's say I wanted to hang out with my friends. Um, they would try to do things to appease us. So really, that's when it all started. Uh, when I was younger, I was very outgoing. Um, I used to say, which is so ironic with what I do now, all I want to do is make a difference and help people when I get older or be a vet. Um, that was my life dream. Um, I was in all of our school plays. I was a cheerleader, very active, very loving, just kind little girl. And um, I remember all when that kind of specifically changed. Um, so when I, and a lot of my stuff has trauma, but none of that, you know, is what turned me into an alcoholic or addict. That's really just what gave me like an excuse and, and, and the reason to start numbing myself. But when I was in uh, middle school, my father was hit by a drunk driver and uh, was hospitalized for a long time. So he was ripped out of our life. We had the nice house, the nice things. Um, and, you know, my mom was forced to take, not forced, but had to take care of all of us. And she was a school teacher, right? So my dad was away. Uh, and my dad did what he knew best to make himself feel better. And that was he started prescribing himself his own medications, right? So he was using that. I was slowly starting to lose him. Um, and then later on in life, that's when I first picked up my drink. I remember I was just so hurt and lost. And I experienced a few deaths um, in that time as well. So I didn't know how to process that being so young. Um, and being so young and processing trauma and death, I, you know, looked to my older brother and sister on what they did. And what they did was they drank and they had fun. So I had my first drink very young. Um, I was in sixth grade. And as soon as I did it, I remember just feeling relief, right? Like the, the feelings of sadness with my father, you know, the feelings of not being in control of my upbringing just went away. Like I was in control. It was fun. All my problems disappeared. And so as a sixth grader, you're not getting alcohol very often. So I would do it whenever I could. Um, and then in middle school, I stayed continuously active in different things. Um, and when I hit ninth grade, I, my father was in, um, or not my father, my brother was in a four wheeling accident. He broke every bone in his body. 
And like, this isn't about me, right? But like at the time it is about me. I feel like it does affect me directly, but it just was so much. I didn't know how to comprehend it. I didn't know how to internalize it, process it, deal with it. So my brother broke every bone in his body. They said he wasn't going to make it. Um, and so I remember we were drinking at the hospital. I was in ninth grade to like deal with it. Like my father, myself, my brother's friends, like, like that just how us Irish, Irish uh, people do it. That's how we mourn. That's how we celebrate. That's how we do everything. Um, so anyways, I remember we had to say goodbye to my brother and do all these things. And then he made this miraculous turnaround. Um, and he, and he started getting better, but he spent about a year in the hospital, um, getting better. And I continued to party throughout that time. I started to slowly pull back from school. Um, and during this time as well, my dad was in the newspaper for being busted by the DEA. Cause we went from having everything. He was a doctor to having nothing, right. Him selling his drugs because he became addicted to them then. Right. So my father is a physician who gets hit by a car and then he becomes an addict, um, which is, you know, what happens. This is what this disease does. It, it, it doesn't spare anyone. So my dad gets busted by the DEA and all my friends start to not be able to hang out with me. Like you're not allowed at Bevan's house. You're not allowed to do that. And that's what I remember myself really pulling back. Right. So instead of being that outgoing little girl, um, instead of people like trying to help me. And that's something I think that's wrong with our society is we need to reach out to these children. We need to help them. We need to be there instead of just saying they're a bad kid. You know, her dad's bad. She's bad. She drinks. So we're not going to support her in any way. So that's when I started to pull back. Right. And instead of having positive attention, I think I subconsciously started wanting negative attention because I was just hurting. Um, and so with my brother, with his accident, He's got hooked on pain pillar, painkillers, pain pills. Like I can't talk. Um, but so he got on this medicine, right? And I remember just being so lost because him and my father would do it together. And and I just remember being so saddened by it and writing this letter in high school to um, hi Jen, writing this letter in high school to um, both of them just begging for them to get sober. Just the pain was so real. And it's ironic because then my mother felt that, you know, about all of us. That's what our patients, families feel. And I can relate so much. It's so hard to be on the other side. Um, sometimes it's harder, I think. Uh, so I just was writing this letter in pain and I just wanted them to get better. And I even won a D.A.R.E. award when I was younger saying I'll never drink. I have it on camera. I wish I had it here so I could play it for you guys. Um, me and my friend Chase both won this award. And it was just it's just so ironic. I'll never smoke, I'll never drink. And then, you know. I can absolutely yeah. relate to that one. Can you? You too. I can see yeah. you being right, winning a D.A.R.E. award too. I mean, I was homeschooled my whole life. So D.A.R.E. didn't really come to my house, but okay. I, I definitely <laughs> made all the promises and never thought I was going to go there. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah. So uh, they start doing these drugs together and I'm so against it. You know, but I'm still drinking all the time. I'm still doing other things to fill the void, to fill the numb. I'm a party girl. I like me and my friends are joking around that we're alcoholics and we're in 10th grade. Nobody does that. It's not funny. We're like peeing our pants and we're like, this is normal. Um, 
It's not like that's sad. Um, at the time, it was fun and it was the way we all dealt with our pain. Um, but so anyways, I meet, you know, a gentleman who is the love of my high school life. And uh, like the saying goes, like, eventually you join the pain if you can't beat it. So he started doing we started dabbling in the things that my brother and my father were doing. Um, and eventually we took it to a whole nother level. Um, from there, it went from being fun in a party to being, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I became a slave to it. It became a job. It became um, a necessity. It became my everything, you know? And so when that happened, when I found that substance, so it was opiates, just for people that are out there, like, I remember just feeling completely numb. All the pain of my father, my brother, different things in life I didn't know how to deal with. I didn't know how to cope. It fixed it for a short period of time. And then eventually my life became completely spiraled out of control from this. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to function without it. I couldn't shower without it. I couldn't, this is when the consequences started happening. And my poor mother, you know, at this time is dealing with me, who's an addict and my, my brother, right? So both of her children, my dad is there. Too. So we end up, all of my family starts using together. So if that happens for any patients, I'm here, I get it. I understand that this disease, you know, happens to a family. It's a family disease. Um, so there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? There's nothing we haven't heard, we haven't done. Um, so we all started using together. And then, you know, the consequences started happening. The boyfriend uh, overdosed a bunch of times. Legal trouble started happening. I couldn't shower without it. I couldn't eat without the substance. Um, Did you know, were you, were you uh, aware and, and had you admitted to yourself at this point that you were addicted or did you still, were you still under the illusion that you just hadn't exerted enough self-control <laughs> to stop? I, I think self-control. Yeah. So I think for, which is very different because I'll see people who are young and they get it right away. Like this is a problem. Um, but what, for me, I think that it was just, I was so oblivious. Like mm -hmm. mine was, if you guys were me, you would do this too. If you had the pain I had, you would do this too. Like, this is my medicine. This mm -hmm. is, this is normal. Like I almost believed, like tricked myself into believing I was okay. Absolutely. So I wasn't there yet. I didn't have the clarity that it was a problem. Yeah. And so I went to my first treatment center and I still didn't believe it was a problem. Right. So I think that's something to touch on with relapse and denial. Um, I was 18 at my first treatment center. It was after uh, the ex-boyfriend overdosed, you know, and so at this point we're using with my family. It's it just everybody I know is now engulfed in it. And my mom was just trying to pick the pieces of the puzzle together. She's just trying to fix everything. But when I went there, I recognized at that treatment center that opiates were a problem. I did see that. Uh, but then I thought, well, I can handle other things. You know, I'm 18. I can drink. I can drink. This is normal. You know, every if anybody had the pain they had and the trauma that I had, they would be doing the same thing. 
And that's not true. That's just an excuse. Um, so I get out of treatment and uh, I think within two weeks I'm using again. You know, I'm using drugs and alcohol again. If I made it that long, I don't know. There's been multiple. So I guess I'll not go into like the war story of it, but I go in and out of treatment for a while. I went down to Florida and I wasn't quite quite ready. Um, I think that I was just a child trying to act like an adult and numb myself. Um, I didn't know how to deal with the pain. Uh, and it was my escape. Like I thought that it was fun. It was the only way I knew how to live. That's why when you asked me if I knew if I was an addict yet or if I had the clarity, I don't think so because I was in such denial and I really knew no other way. So like what there point, was, would you say even, even at this point when you had gone down to Florida, you're bouncing in and out of rehab, so you'd been exposed to a solution other than the substance. And um, were you still under the illusion at that point? Do you feel like you, you knew you just weren't ready to get sober or were you still thinking it was just a self-control thing? And, you know, I, I think by the time I went to Florida, I knew I just wasn't willing. Yeah. Okay. You know, how can you deny yeah. it at that point? But I think, I just wasn't willing. And I thought, oh, I'll get it then. Yeah. Um, and then you see all these people around you that you love that start dying from it. And you think that won't be me. That won't be yeah. me or getting in trouble or going to prison for years or, you know, just doing absolutely insane things to get the next one. You think that's not going to be me, but all the nevers always come true. Yeah. Um, so I would say for, for me, when I figured it out, um, I probably was using for about a year and I hadn't had a job. So I hadn't have, I was, I didn't have a job. I had my own apartment. I was using with my brother and my father, um, and my ex. And so my ex overdosed at my house. Cause that's the beautiful, you know, it's, I had a great place. That's what you do. And he made it, thank God. But like, his mom and my mom came over and ambushed my apartment, called the police on us, and um, I got in trouble, right? So luckily, there's a beautiful judge that I know around here, Judge Clement. He's so fantastic, such a wonderful man. He understands addiction, and he, he gave me a chance. He knew there was something wrong with me. Um, so that's the thing, too. I feel like a lot of times, like the court systems, if you're open and honest with them, yeah. They they work with you. They want to help you. They really do if 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 you really are about it, right? And like they can see the pain. Mm. Um just this fantastic man. So anyways, I get in trouble, my father gets in trouble, my brother gets in trouble. So please we all have substances on us. Um and it was like we were in the newspaper and it said family affair. And it was humiliating and it was embarrassing because wow. here I was like, like I told you, me as a little girl, I am loving, I am kind, I want to be friends with everybody. I want to save everybody, right? Like, that's what I said. I just want to help people. That's all I cared about or be a vet. Um, and I'm in this newspaper with my mugshot with my dad, who is my hero. He's a, he was a doctor. He's the most loving man in the world with my dad and with my brother, who's my best friend. And we're all just sunken in faces. 
we are sick, we are beat up, we're soulless. So that happened. And I remember I went to a holding cell and like, thank God I didn't get charges. I didn't get arrested. They took my picture. That's how they got the newspaper photo. And I went back to my apartment and I continued to do the things I was doing for a few more days. But when I realized it was a problem was a few days later and I looked in the mirror and for that first time in probably like four or five years, it hit me and the clarity happened. That's why I love the name Clarity Way too. Because it was just like, that's, that's how I felt. Like for once it was like, I saw myself Yeah. time. And I don't, since I was a little girl, right. Since I was a teenager and I like started this stuff, I saw myself and I said, what are you doing? You know, like, I wish I would have listened to my parents sooner. I think that it made it more difficult having my family using as well to really see it. Uh, but that's still not an excuse. So like there's other people there that just wasn't, I couldn't hear it yet. Um, so I had that moment of clarity and I just knew something had to change. And that was one of the first times I said, I need to go to treatment on my own. So nobody pushed me, no one did anything. And I just knew I was gonna die if I did not change my way of living. Um, so there's hope in that. Uh, I was 20, or was I 19? I think I was 19 that time. So I was 19. And I ended up in York, Pennsylvania at a recovery house, which saved my life. Um, it's true when they say recovery breeds recovery. So I found a sponsor. I started going through the steps. I started doing everything I had to do for myself. Um, and I felt the, the peace and freedom that came with it. I, I grew up. I went from this little girl in pain you know, to like starting to become a strong woman. And, and the thing though, when I say it breeds recovery is it's so cool. So I, I was up there and I was just heartbroken over my brother, you know, cause he's my best friend. He's been through everything with me, all my pain, he shared it. And I ended up getting him to come to the recovery house with me. So we wow. were both getting, yeah, it was so great. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, so we got sober together and, uh, I had, uh, a lapse in there. I turned 21. So like it shows you, you can do this sober. all of this pain, all of this stuff happened before I was even 21, you know? So there's hope in that, like for the people that are like thinking they can't get sober before they can have their legal drink. Trust me, you can, it doesn't get any better. Um, so I turned 21. I think that I can have a drink and it leads to other things. And right then I, I throw my hands up and I say, except completely, this is a problem completely. I will never be normal. I can never do one thing. And my brother's the one that pulled me through that, which is pretty amazing. So I would say with the power of people in the program, people that love you rehab, I, I would not have been sober without treatment and my recovery house. I know that's same here, life. same here. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like people are like, I can just go home. I'm like, ooh, can you, go? Can you really just go home? Mm -hmm. uh, but that saved my life. And yeah. another beautiful thing is, so I also think that 
something that people have to do besides it's not just 12 step or refuge. I think that therapy, trauma work, um, healing, because normally we all have some baggage. Either we got it from when we were using or it was from before, but yeah. there's much there. So, so that was pretty amazing. Um, he pulled me through. And then since then I've been able to help him and pull him back through relapses. Um, and I've been sober ever since March 6th, 2013. Uh, and through that process, I've grown. I was a waitress. So I know in the beginning, everybody wants everything at once. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, I took things very slow. I focused on my recovery. Um, I focused on healing. And then eventually I went to Clarity Way and got a job there and got to give back and help others and then just grow. And it just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, life takes off when you're doing the right thing. And it's so incredible and beautiful. Um, so another beautiful story, I just have to put this in there because a lot of people really struggle with their family members. Um, I would say Narnon and Alanon have helped me so much. My sponsor is absolutely incredible. She does it all. And she's a therapist. So I hit the lottery with her. Um, yeah, absolutely. But makes, yeah, I did. <laughs> I'll recommend her to everybody. That's what I always <laughs> say. Stop. So when I was sober for a while, I was guided to write a letter to my father. And I wrote a letter and it just was basically, you know, saying, not shaming, not mean, just saying this might make me cry. This was like one of the pivotal points in my sobriety. So he, he is <laughs> an amazing man. And he's like so kind hearted and like see him like be like my hero, right? Like we'd go into his doctor's office as a kid. He would take me into like, like for take your kids to school day, go, I'd go watch surgeries being done. And I was like, this is so cool. And he was, he's hilarious really dark sense of humor. I think that's why I have it. <laughs> I wish you would have played in the road when you were a kid. I'm like, that's not very funny, dad, but that's his sense of humor. Anyway, oh, gosh. He's, he's so great. And to see what the addiction did to him hmm. took away his, his license. So he wasn't a doctor anymore. Um, took away his pride, took away his hope. It took away his home, took away his family every family member extended his kids. And so by the time I wrote him the letter, he was living in um, an abandoned house basically with a friend, no heat, no water, um, just like very sad and broken. So I was suggested to me to write this letter to him, just not shaming, saying how much I love him and what my boundaries would be. And really my boundaries are is I can't not talk to you, but like, I can't have you in my life if you're like this. So like for the last five years, we haven't talked, like we haven't mm -hmm. like, and I want you someday to like walk me down the aisle. I want you to um, like be there for like me. If I have kids, I want you to be there for my brother and my sister. Like you're a good man. Like I, I need you. Like I deserve that. And you deserve that too. So I wrote him this letter and he said, I'm not willing. And I was like, oh. and then he called me a day later and he said, okay, I've been thinking about that letter and I'm willing to go to treatment. 
And so that was in 2000, I want to say 14 or 15. Um, and I've had them ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah, Promises actually helped me out and got them into Copac, which is why wow. I'm indebted to this company too. So they got him into Copac. Yeah. And he's been well ever since. You know, and so he's at my house all the time, except for now with this stupid COVID. I'm like, stay away from me. You're you're immune compromised. But Wait, are, um, you're not gonna tell me that you're having trouble keeping your parents in line during the COVID pandemic either, are you? Like Oh, I am. They're being like, absolutely they're not being rebels, are they? Trying to leave the house and divide. <laughs> How crazy is that? I feel like now the longer I'm sober, the more parent I am. Oh, the the they table turned. They call me uh baby boss, baby bev boss, my brother and my dad, and they say <laughs> and I'm the youngest, so it's pretty funny. Um so, anyways, you know, getting sober like has been such a blessing. It's not boring, it's fun, it's it's absolutely incredible. And there are times that it, it can be hard at times, like with all the strangeness going on, don't think you're abnormal if you have a crazy thought or you, you know, just anything. We're human. We're going to have these thoughts. We're going to make mistakes. But you just have to make sure you're doing what you need to do for yourself. And that's what I continue to do during this time, too. Like, it's all worth it. Like, the life you get from getting sober is like beyond your wildest dreams. And I think we're luckier than most people. Hi, Julie. Hey, um, Julie. Glad Julie. you're watching. I think we're luckier than most people because most people don't get to restart their lives and dig so deep on themselves. That's so right. I, you know, I, this was probably four episodes ago. I can't remember who it was that I was talking to, but how um, we, <laughs> in many regards, are... Um, more prepared than the quote-unquote normies you know uh, because we've had to learn um, well first of all we've had to be, just be able to identify the basic ism of you know the ism of addiction slash human nature right like that um, we get kind of forced into because of addiction and um, thus we get exposed to all of these healthy coping tools and and um, ways of living through 12 steps and many other modalities of recovery and um, it's a toolbox that certainly has positioned us to be able to take care of ourselves in a different way than a lot of society is prepared to do right now and it's a really neat thing because I've watched, and I'm sure you have too, the um, recovery community literally just transform and wrap its arms around each other right now in a way that we've never, like in totally different ways that we've seen before, you know? And um, so, I don't know, I just wanted to mention that because you were leading into it and I thought it kind of related. It does, it's perfect, you're right. I mean, we're not alone. Yeah. You have someone to talk to your fears about. You have someone, I mean, I wish there was meetings for the normal person, but maybe that's church. Christine. Hey, Christine. <laughs> we're glad you're on too. Um, you know, one thing I was going to say as well is um, that 
you know, worthwhile mentioning right now, lots of things are closed down. Mm-hmm. Behavioral health is not right now. Recovery and mental health disorders, uh, sorry, addiction and mental health disorders don't stop. They don't take a break and they are life threatening. Um, and uh, we can't take a break on recovery and we can't take a break on services like therapy and treatment um, that truly, truly save people's lives. So um, we just want to make sure that everyone is aware that we are open and operating our facilities um, and ready to help people that need help right now um, however we can. And we're taking um, all the precautions every day. Our leadership team is meeting together to make sure we're doing everything we can to follow guidelines and take the necessary precautions to take the best care of our clients. And um, we still have wonderful staff like Bevan and Julie and so many of our awesome outreach people that are um, out in the field, even if it's virtually um, connecting with therapists and others uh, to help guide and channel uh, people who need help um, into, you know, into our, our um, admissions department so that we can uh, get them in. So, um, Bevan, I don't, I'm sorry, I feel like I cut you off. Where, did you no, you have... didn't. Okay. That was perfect what you were saying. Um, well, was there anything else you uh, wanted to share or add? No, I guess I'll say um, something that my sponsor always says, uh, which I think is so important and I ingrained in my mind right now. So like the solution is always the same. Love you, Mandy and Lori Besden. I am baby boss and I love you. <laughs> um, so no, just like the support too, right? Like these people commenting are my coworkers and my friends in recovery and like my loved ones, like that's so amazing. Like the support that is built up around in this program. Like when I first got sober, I had no one, I was alone. You know, I didn't have self-confidence. I didn't have self-esteem. There's no way I'd be doing this. Um, you know, like, and I still get in my head sometimes. I sent Patrick my picture and I was like, this is terrible. No, but like, that's being human. That's me being authentic and vulnerable with you guys. Like not always pretty, but so my sponsor always says is the solution's always the same. And what that means for me is like, I have to trust and I have to work on my spiritual, my spiritual life, right? Whatever that means to you. Um, I have to work on myself, clean house. So like, make sure I don't have resentments built up, make sure I'm working on myself with a therapist, with my sponsor. So clean house and help others. So as long as I'm doing those things, I'm going to be okay. And I think that if you do those things, you'll be okay. And uh, just so you know, it like if you're out there and you're struggling, it does get better. I promise. If you knew me from my past, there should be hope right now. You just seeing this, like you can have a beautiful life and like, you deserve that. So reach out. We're here for you. That's right. Oh, Bevan, thank you so much. Um, that, that your story is super powerful. Um, sorry, I'm hearing myself in the background that caught me off guard. Uh, but your story is super powerful. I, I know that it's going to help a lot of people who are listening. Um, and so thanks again for coming on to share with us. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. 
Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's rooted alumni community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself.